Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Joshua. Praise to the God who reigns above. The nation of Israel was finally ready to enter the land promised them by God. Joshua was to lead the people to the victory that God had promised. God had told Joshua that he would be with him as they went on their conquest. Joshua was to be courageous and to be sure that God would be the one to fight their battles. We join Pastor Will in Joshua chapter 1 verse 8. So verse 8, he tells them, This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. You shall meditate therein day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then you shall make your way prosperous, and then you shall have good success. This book of the law, my word, it shall not depart. The word there means to cease, fail, or stop. It shouldn't cease, fail, or stop coming out of your mouth. Why the mouth? That's an interesting way to put it, isn't it? You would think in the ear, right? It's the idea of listening. If you're reading, you're listening to it being read to you. You would think, you know, don't let it depart out of your ear. And yet he says, let it not depart out of your mouth. Why would he say that? Well, something we have to remember is they didn't have recordings of scripture back then or recordings of teachings. Rarely back then would a person read without doing so out loud. Instead, they did something the Bible calls meditate. The word meditate here is an interesting word. We think of meditate to kind of ponder, to think about, to ruminate, to let it kind of go around in your mind, kind of settle in your heart as you think about it, what it means for you. And it does hold those ideas, but at its basic meaning, it just means to mutter. It's the word that's used to describe the low growl that a lion makes. When something is on its mind and it just all of a sudden, it's not the roar that's purposeful in the sense it's out on the hunt, but it's just the idea of something has caught its attention and it, it growls under its breath to mutter. In 2017, a university study confirmed this ancient practice of reading out loud through a test on college students over two semesters. While some students were required to read out loud from a list of 160 nouns, others heard them, these nouns, read to them out loud, or they were allowed to read them silently. They had the choice. So you had three groups. They could choose to have it read to them out loud. They could read it silently And then the other third group, they would read it out loud themselves. Afterward, they were tested to see how many words they remembered from the list. The participants remembered more words if they had read them aloud compared to all other conditions. They concluded, the study, that reading out loud is a more effective way of remembering because of the dual effect of speaking and reading. They believed it helped encode the memory more strongly. Singing and reading have also been proven to encode memory better than simply reading something. Writing as well. Why? This is because each of these actions creates additional pathways in the brain. Have you ever watched an Orthodox Jew read his Bible or pray? They bob back and forth like this, right? The whole body's moving. I didn't know this until I went to Israel. I didn't, know, I didn't know why. I just thought, well, that's what they do. The reason they do it is because they believe they're to worship God with all their being, all their body. So they involve their entire body in the process of reading scripture or praying. Personally, I believe that misses the point because you can do all of that outwardly and still not really take scripture to heart. So that's not my point here. I think their action though does show they understand something of importance, that worship, prayer, and study of scripture require effort. They require effort. They require you to engage. So many people I find dislike the Bible or find it boring or difficult to understand because they fail to inject the necessary energy when reading it. That's just the reality. 
When I ask someone, I say, just can't understand my Bible, Pastor. Well, I say, well, how often do you read? Ah, oh, maybe once a month. That might be the reason. Because <laughs> I guarantee you, if you start reading it every day, some things will start to make sense to you. Guarantee it. And then you get them reading. And they start to come back to you and say, wow, this is so neat, Pastor Will. I'm starting to understand my Bible. You figured it out. Energy must be expended. Effort must be expended. In 2 Timothy 2.15, Paul tells this young pastor, he says, study to show yourself approved, a workman that doesn't need to be ashamed, but rightly dividing the word of truth. The word study, it means to make effort, to labor, to exert oneself. And if I could encourage you in something, don't just read it or listen to it. Speak it out loud to yourself sometimes. I don't always do this because, especially if I'm at a public setting, it probably would look weird. But if I'm alone, I almost always read my Bible out loud. Almost always. There's just something unique about it that I have to kind of stop as I'm reading. There's sometimes I'll be reading and I'll catch something and I'll go, huh, I didn't notice that word before. Or I didn't notice that about this passage before. And then I've got to think about it. As you're reading your Bible, I would encourage you, don't just read it or listen to it. Speak it out loud to yourself. Think about what you're reading and then think about how you can live it out. That way, the truths, they're able to dig deep into the soil of your heart and become a part of your life. Because it's only then when it becomes a part of your life and your heart that then it becomes a part of your everyday behavior. When I was a brand new Christian, I'll tell you a little story here. There was this beautiful young lady who was in my homeroom class. She had been saved longer than I had been. We were walking down the hall after home group one day, and she heard me humming, and this will date me a little bit too, bullfrogs and butterflies. Anyone remember that? And she looked over at me and she said, how do you know that song with emphasis on you? Because my life did not resemble that of a Christian at all anymore. I had a, a potty mouth and I was involved in some things that were very ungodly. And so she was shocked to hear those words come out of my mouth. That this song, this Jesus song, kids Jesus song. I said, I go to church, you know, I gave my life to Christ and found out I was a Christian. And so I think she spent the next rest of the year rebuking me for my potty mouth and other things I was doing and you know, telling me I shouldn't do those things. But here's my point. I never made a concerted effort to fix my potty mouth or some of the other things that I was struggling with. But I did make a concerted effort to be in my Bible, to read it and to apply what I read on a regular basis. And I remember a couple years later when we were good friends and I had a much stronger walk with the Lord, I was in class and she was sitting behind me and I turned to her and I said, before class, and I said, when's the last time you heard me swear? And she looked at me, she goes, I don't know, it's been months, like maybe six, seven months. I was like, yeah, I'm thinking the same thing. Isn't that cool? She's here tonight, <laughs> if you haven't figured that out. So much of my life, there have been certain things I've had to be very purposeful about, that I've had to make sure I put boundaries around myself to make sure I don't get in trouble. But most of my life, the things that have changed in me have been just because I'm in the Word, applying it to my life and becoming more like Jesus. Now, that's what the Bible says. I think it's in 2 Corinthians 4. It is 2 Corinthians 4 at the very end. It says, we beholding with you know, open face the glory of the Lord. As we behold the glory of the Lord, we're changed by His Spirit to be more like Christ. That's the idea here. When I'm living this out, and this is becoming a part of my everyday behavior, then God's presence is with me. His Spirit's with me. And as such, I'll be strengthened. I'll have the wisdom to make good choices. That's what success here means. I'll have the capability to make good choices. I'll find courage to tackle impossible enemies. And doesn't that sound like an awesome way to live? It sure does. It sounds like an abundant way to live, doesn't it? Life on a different level. That's what that means. Jesus said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I come that you might have life and that more abundantly. 
That word abundantly, it means life on a different level, life different than everybody else has it. So if we will walk with the Lord through being in his word, applying it to our lives, not departing to the left of their light, not making any compromises, he says he'll go with us. And because his presence is with us, even though we go through trials, even though we go through suffering, even though we go through loss, we can have courage, we'll be strengthened, and we can make good choices. Understanding this key to victory, now it's time to do it. And so God gives one final exhortation to Joshua. He says, number one, I will be with you. Number two, live out my word. And number three, don't be afraid or discouraged. He says in verse nine, have not I commanded thee? Be strong and of a good courage. Don't be afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you whithersoever you go. The phrase there, have not I commanded you, there is force behind this statement. It's almost as if the Lord says, why aren't you up and moving yet, Joshua? Why aren't you up and moving yet? Haven't I commanded you? See, Joshua, he was a man of great courage, but this was a huge undertaking. He could see the walls of Jericho in the distance. He could certainly also look back if he wanted to and remember the corpse-riddled desert of failure because his generation did not trust God. Fear and dismay They would be easy companions if he focused on those past failures or the present challenges. So to get him moving, the Lord says it a third time. Be strong and of good courage and address those challenges. Be not afraid. The word afraid means don't torment and terrorize yourself. That's an interesting way to put it, isn't it? Not the normal word for fear that we find in the Old Testament. It means don't torment and terrorize yourself. Listen, if Joshua looks back, or forward, and that's all he's going to think about, there's plenty of reasons to torment or terrorize yourself. Maybe if I'd spent more time with the other 10 spies. Maybe if I tried to influence them more. Maybe when I saw the fear in their eyes, if I encouraged them more. There's a number of reasons that he could have looked back and thought, I could have done better, and maybe it'd be more than me and Caleb, the only ones left. Or he could look forward. See, plenty to be terrorized by. The word dismayed means to be discouraged or demoralized due to fear. Lord says, Don't be dismayed. Don't be demoralized because of fear, but instead be strong and of a good courage. For the Lord your God is with you, with us wherever you go. These specific words that God speaks here would remind Joshua of another speech given 40 years earlier while Israel was camped on the edge of the promised land. I want to read it to you. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 19 through 21. We are stretching back 40 years when Joshua was picked to be one of these 12 spies. These were the words he heard from Moses. Moses recounts, and when we departed from Oreb, that's Sinai, we went through all that great and terrible wilderness which you saw by the way of the mountains of the Amorites, as the Lord our God commanded us, and we came to Kadesh Barnea, the edge of the southern border of the promised land. And I said unto you, you are come unto the mountain of the Amorites. You've come to this hilly land where the Canaanites dwell, which the Lord our God does give unto us. Behold, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up and possess it as the Lord God of your fathers has said unto you, fear not, neither be discouraged. Those are the same two words that God says here. He'd heard this speech before, 40 years ago. Joshua, when he heard that speech, he took it to heart and he returned a faithful spy. It's almost like as Joshua's pondering all this stuff and all the challenges in front of him, it's almost like the Lord says, you remember that day, Joshua? You trusted me and you were successful. Yes, your generation failed, but you were successful. I was with you and here you are again. You cannot fail if you'll trust me with this too. Isn't that powerful? I get chills when I think of that moment. We know Joshua's decision because we know what happens next, right? But at this moment, Joshua hadn't made that decision yet. He hadn't gotten up and gotten into the battle yet. 
You know, one day in heaven, I will sit down with Joshua and I will ask him to tell me about that moment. I want to hear him talk about how he said, yes, I will not be afraid. I will not allow this stuff to terrorize me. I will be strong. I will be courageous. I will be in your word and I will follow you to the end, Lord. I want to hear that story because this right decision that he makes here was the first of many good decisions that led to ultimate victory. So verse 10, now we see Joshua's obedience. And then Joshua commanded the officers of the people saying, pass through the host, command the people saying, prepare you victuals, food for traveling. For within three days, you shall pass over this Jordan to go in to possess the land, which the Lord your God gives you to possess it. Oh, that's good stuff. It's time to go. It's time to get moving. He appears to the officers, the tribal leaders who are responsible for organization and movement. And he says, it's go time. And here we have it. Boom. Everything that we've been leading up to over the first five books of the Bible, everything from the promise of Genesis to Abraham all the way through to the end of Deuteronomy, now it's finally going to happen. Joshua chooses to be strong and courageous. And now he tells the rest of them to do the same. You know, I love that Joshua doesn't say something like, hey guys, I'm going to lead you into the land. So come follow me, man. Nobody lives forever. He doesn't try to pump them up. He doesn't give them a pep talk. He says, God promised us this land. It's time to move. It's time to go. He says, the Lord is going to give you the land. Follow my lead as I follow him. There is one special case that Joshua needed to deal with right away. One of the easiest areas for someone to test his leadership. Remember the two and a half tribes that asked Moses if they could settle in the Transjordan area? They've already received their land on this side. They're not fighting for themselves now. Every man of that tribe that dies in this conquest is a man who can't go home to the land that he's already conquered. They won't enjoy the spoils of victory. And so it would be very tempting with Moses gone for them to go, you know, I think we're just going to stay here. And so Joshua goes and he, he, as he's getting everybody moving, he goes specifically to them to make sure they're moving. It says, and to the Reubenites, verse 12, and the Gadites and to half the tribe of Manasseh spoke Joshua saying, remember The word which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God has given you rest, and he has given you this land. Your wives, your little ones, your cattle, they shall remain in the land which Moses gave you on this side, Jordan. But you shall pass over before your brethren armed, which means organized for war, all the mighty men of valor, and you will help them until the Lord has given your brethren rest as he has given to you. And they have also possessed the land which the Lord your God gives them. Then you shall return into the land of your possession and enjoy it, which Moses the Lord's servant gave you on this side, Jordan, toward the east, the sun rising." The Bible says that the end times will be characterized by liars and covenant breakers. Guys, let's be those who keep our commitments to the Lord and to other people. Let's not let those things be said of us, that we are liars or covenant breakers. Let's keep our promises. Let's keep our word. Now, I love this here. He says, you are going to go over armed and your mighty men of valor. These would be the elite fighting troops. We know from the other part of Joshua that we'll get to later on that about 70,000 troops from these two and a half tribes were left behind to protect their families. But the elite fighting troops, about 40,000 men from these two and a half tribes, they all crossed over to help their brethren. So they sent their very best. They went over and crossed over. And then when that was done, until the Lord had given their brethren rest, until they could settle down in their own land, They would fight and they would help them win. These guys, they had no incentive to follow Joshua other than their own promise. So I love that Joshua, rather than appealing to his great leadership, Joshua reminds them of their promise. So when you're trying to convince a brother or sister to obey the Lord, talk less about how their obedience or disobedience affects you and more about their need to obey the Lord. You'll have much more success appealing to that. 
Now, verse 16, we see here that the tribes rally behind Joshua's leadership. It says, and they, and I know it's they is always plural, but the way it is here, many believe that the they here refers not just to these two and a half tribes, but to the entire nation, because we don't ever get a response from the officers in verses 10 and 11. So the they here is likely referring to everyone in the nation. And they respond and they answer Joshua saying, all that you command us, we will do. And whithersoever you send us, we will go pastor's dream. (laughs) Parents dream, right? You know, if your son were to come to you, your daughter comes to you and said, father, mother, wherever you will send me, I will go. Whatever you say, I will do. You would crown them right there, right? You know, you were the greatest child ever created. (laughs) Can you get a better response than that? And I love it. They don't say wherever you send us. They say the word whithersoever means everywhere you send us. You know, it's not like they say, well, wherever you send us, we'll go. Just hope it's not here. Everywhere you send us, we'll go. We'll fight to the end. We'll follow your lead and we'll trust that the Lord is leading you. This is a very strong commitment to follow Joshua. Verse 17, according as we have hearkened unto Moses in all things, so we will hearken unto thee. I read that at first and I thought, that's not the commitment I want because they didn't listen to Moses very much, right? But that's actually not the way it's worded. They often did rebel against Moses, but the way it's worded is is that they state, in all the ways we did listen to Moses, that's how we're going to follow you. That's a good commitment. In all the ways we did listen to him, not when we didn't listen to him. Please forget that. We don't want to treat you that way. We want to be faithful. And when we did listen to him, that's how we commit to follow you. Only the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Here, they don't just make a strong commitment to him. They show their heart for him. They want Joshua to succeed like Moses did by expressing their wish that God would be with him as well. How encouraging that must have been for Joshua. I mean, he had gotten up and he'd taken the first few steps, told him to get get ready to go. And here the Lord is with him, prospering his efforts. And yet if that was all that occurred, Joshua already had more than enough reason to leave behind fear and doubt. And yet they close with the most confirming of all commitments they could make. They said to him in verse 18, whosoever he be that does rebel against your commandment and will not hearken unto your words and all that you command him, he shall be put to death. That's a strong commitment too, but that's not my point. The point is the last words, only be strong and have a good courage. It's easy to read that and go, Yeah, that's the theme. Be strong and have good courage, right? They weren't there for God's conversation with Joshua. They weren't there. They didn't know what God said to him. And yet they tell him and say, listen, anybody that rebels, we got your back. And we will see them keep this promise because when Achan steals from the Jericho spoil that was supposed to be dedicated to the Lord, they fulfill that commitment. The idea here is that, okay, we're committed to you. But they're telling them, this is what you need to do. That's our part. You need to be focused. The word only there, it's the same word God used. Only means singular focus due to unique need. This is what you need to do to be a good leader, Joshua. This is what we need you to be for us. Be strong and have a good courage. (laughs) Our hope is that God is with you like he was with Moses. So we're praying that you will maintain that singular focus on knowing and living out God's word, Joshua, so that you'll be strong and courageous in leading us. They weren't privy to God's conversation with Joshua in verses one through nine, but they had listened to Moses spend the last weeks of his life urging them to love God supremely. So how cool it must have been for Joshua to see the work God was doing not just in his heart, but in their hearts. To know that God was unifying the entire nation towards the singular purpose of knowing and following him. Many linguists, they believe the strong, the the phrase here, be strong and have a good courage, that phrase, they believe it's actually a picture word. Because strength refers to the hands having the ability to accomplish a task. It's your hands that do the work. Courage refers to the knees, which must not be wobbly, but firm as you step forward toward the task. 
So I think it's very interesting that we have something of an exhortation like this for us in the New Testament, and that's what I'm going to leave you with today. So turn to Hebrews 12. We're not going to read the whole chapter because I want to talk about verse 1 and verses 12 to 13. Paul, if you are an English teacher, you already know this, is an English teacher's nightmare. Seriously, he is the master of the run-on sentence. He will start and he will be these, literally the same. If you look at Greek, it's the same sentence going for 13 verses. And so it can be difficult at times to track his exact thought pattern because he doesn't complete the thought till 13 verses later or 20. Well, in chapter 12 of Hebrews, he starts off with this exhortation. Wherefore, seeing we are compassed, surrounded, compassed about, surrounded with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. We all know that exhortation, right? We need to lay aside the weights that weigh us down, the sin that traps us, and run with endurance the race that Christ sets before us. And then, of course, how we do that is looking unto Jesus. But the end of it The end of that sentence, he talks about God's discipline. He talks about Jesus' example. But really, the end of the sentence is in verses 12 and 13. For verse 12 says, wherefore. That's the concluding thought. So it's, wherefore, seeing we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let's run this race. How are we going to do that? Verse 12, wherefore, lift up the hands that hang down. Strength, be strong. And the feeble knees, be courageous and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be dislocated. Instead, rather, let it be healed. Listen, if we're going to run our race with endurance, we need to quit fearing the walls of Jericho. We must firm up our knees and take a step toward this impossible task. If we're going to make straight paths for our feet, we must quit looking back to where we dislocated our ankle through past compromise or poor decision-making. We must strengthen our hands to the task in front of us, trusting that God is changing us, healing those old failures, and giving us what we need to succeed this time. And we participate in that process by exerting effort into studying his word and committing to living out what we learn. Don't ignore it. Read God's word. Get into the battle. Be strong. Be courageous. Lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet. Amen? Let's all stand. Lord, it's so sad when we look at so much of Israel's history because a lot of it is marked by defeat. And we see that, Lord, is because they did turn to the left or to the right. They didn't do all your word, or sometimes they weren't even in your word. Sometimes no one even knew where your word was. They had to go find it. Lord, let that not be said of us. We aren't sure where our Bibles are. We're not using them. That we're not exerting effort into learning what it says, pondering what it says, and then submitting to your authority so we can live out what it says. Because God, you've promised that every place where we set our foot is ours in you. Whatever task you send us on, Lord, it's ours in you. And so we want to be faithful to trust you, Lord, to be strong and courageous, to exchange our weakness for your strength as we come and humble ourselves in your word, to learn what you want us to do. And in saying, God, that's an impossible task. I can't love my wife like Christ loved the church. I can't parent my kids without stirring them up to anger. I don't know how to do this, Lord but I know you do, and I choose to obey you in this. Will you go with me? Will you be strong through me? Will you cause me to mount up with wings like an eagle so I can run and not fall, Lord, not grow weary, not be faint, not give up? Lord, we choose like Joshua to be strong and courageous tonight in whatever task it is you've set in front of us to be men and women of your word and to live it out. Help us to do so, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Jesus said that everlasting life is found in knowing God. He also said this is why he came to earth. 
that we might have abundant, everlasting life. Yet we can miss out on all that God has for us when we settle for less, or when we let fear and doubt cripple us. God told Joshua to be courageous, that he would be with him to complete the things God had told Joshua to do. God is with us and is sure to complete the good work he started in us. Have courage, friend. He will never leave us. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.